Lesson One: Basic Hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Just go to the iTunes Store, and there's a little search box, and you can type in Jazz Session, and there I'll be. It's all free. You can subscribe for free. You can get all the back shows for free. You can also go to thejazzsession.com, and you'll see all of the shows that have ever been done. And as a matter of fact, if you click on Show Archive, you'll get a very convenient little list of all the shows. You'll also find uh, some articles that I've written. You will find uh, transcriptions of interviews. You'll find some live jazz news, the occasional little blog entry. It's all there at thejazzsession.com. Also, a great place to win free music. Very, very frequent contests at thejazzsession.com. And uh, if you don't visit the site or listen to the show, you just can't win. Don't forget our cause of the month, which, as most causes of the month tend to do, will probably last significantly longer than a month. This one is Musicians Village in New Orleans. It's a partnership of the New Orleans Habitat for Humanity and folks like Bradford Marsalis and Harry Connick Jr. And uh, the idea is to build housing for some of the musicians who have made New Orleans the city that it is. My guest this week is vocalist Kate McGarry. She's got a brand new recording out on the Palmetto Records label called If Less Is More, Nothing Is Everything. And it begins with Let's Face the Music. There may be trouble While there's moonlight and music and love and romance Let's face the music and dance My guest is vocalist Kate McGarry. She's got a new album on Palmetto Records called If Less Is More, Nothing is Everything, and it's such a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. Thanks so much for being here again, Kate. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be with you. Well, you were on the show uh, toward the end of last year, and what's uh, what's been going on since then? It seems like a lot of stuff. You're you're everywhere these days. Yeah, yeah. I've been kind of getting getting out there. Um, been traveling a lot with my husband, Keith, and, and making a new record and working with a new, um, actually a new group that's a uh, a smaller group. It's the Less Is More Trio, <laughs> um, with Clarence Penn on electronic percussion and acoustic percussion, and, and Keith and myself. And um, we've also been traveling some. We went to Spain, and went to the West Coast, and doing some festivals this summer. And and I just saw you at Tanglewood Festival. That was fun. That's right. Yeah, that was a great show. Yeah, and I'm teaching a lot. I'm teaching at Manhattan School of Music and. Um, working on some new classes right now. I'm working on some curriculum about the blues. And when you called, I was just listening to some um, prison work songs and enjoying that. <laughs> oh, good. So you're in a nice, buoyant mood for the interview. That's uh, 
<laughs> That's nice. <laughs> now, when uh, when I saw you at Tanglewood, you picked out a particular person in the crowd and uh, said how many people never get to thank the po- people who are most important to them, and uh, you thanked a particular uh, professor who was in the crowd. I-, I was just interested for you to maybe tell folks a little bit more about who that was and, and why you singled him out. Yeah, his name is Dr. Horace Clarence Boyer, and um, when I was at uh, college at University of Massachusetts and uh, Amherst uh, from 81 to 85. I know. I'm an older gal. <laughs> it, I, uh, studied with him. He was my, you know, my voice teacher and, um, he was somebody who had studied classical music for a long time but also grew up in the Pentecostal church and, and, um, was a wonderful gospel singer and had recorded and written, you know, a lot of music and, was a real scholar and is considered across the, the country as a as a, a one of the premier scholars on uh, black sacred music. And though he wasn't a jazz singer, he had such a a, a special way of of helping me. Who also, you know, I, I hadn't really listened or studied jazz at all, and I was hadn't been exposed to it very much. He, you know, played it for me and and helped me kind of decipher it and understand what the special um, embellishments and ways that, that jazz singers use their voices. And and I've, I've never found his technique of teaching. I've never seen it anywhere else. And I think it's a pretty special way to, to teach people because it's not just sort of like the intellectual aspects of the scales and, and whatnot. It's really, and the whole program at, at University of Massachusetts, there was also many other really wonderful teachers there. Um, we we really got to learn about um, the connection of it, the degree was African American music and jazz, and it was really about the connection of of um, uh, Af- Africa to America and to and, and how how jazz came from you know came from that um, the connection between the two, and it was a, I think it's a pretty special education, and it's something that I'm I'm trying to share now with the people at Manhattan School well that's a long answer to your question oh, I a, love that man <laughs> he was really one, really a great teacher yeah yeah it sounds like it I mean it's it's it was great that uh, you know he was able to be there and and that that moment was able to happen it, it doesn't surprise me that you you know have spent a lot of time kind of really uh, analyzing music and and trying to figure out what makes it tick and looking for connections because it strikes me that that your music is all about kind of deconstructing and reconstructing that uh, so many of the songs like let's face the music which opens the album you know you can recognize uh, pieces of the melody and you can recognize pieces of the harmonic structure but it's really been almost taken down to its foundation and rebuilt and i wonder if how you how you why do you approach music that way how is it that you've gotten to this point where uh, so much of your music is really uh, strikingly kate mcgarry and not not anyone else <laughs> it's funny you should you should say that um, because actually that particular song, the Let's Face the Music, as well as um, You're My Thrill, are both arrangements that Keith did for me. And um, he, as he does on every album, he takes a couple songs and um, and re restructures them. And I think we both we just think alike about music and about um, you know about standards. And uh, and I told him. We talked about what, you know, what the feeling of the song was for both of us and, and he just, he just started reharmonizing it and I sang it in a completely different way than how it, you know, generally is sung. And then I had the idea that we should end it, 
with the bridge instead of going back to the A section because to me, you know, I wanted the, the song to end with the with the uh, our heroine <laughs> dancing. <laughs> Let's face face the music and dance just dancing, uh, which is how the bridge um, how the bridge goes lyrically, really, um, uh, and and even without words. So yeah, I mean that that song in particular. I feel like w- we have a, a real um, a great bond together and and think about music alike. And he he just has such a great way of of restructuring songs, and he that was his his creation. <laughs> Obviously, I've uh, asked a question about the wrong tune, but in any case, I, I will okay. I will maintain my point, which is that despite the fact that Keith arranged the particular tune that I chose to select, um, I still think a lot of the album. I mean, you. You know, I've heard you sing everything from you know Depeche Mode to uh, you know to Joni Mitchell at various times, and um, it always it always comes out with a it's unmistakably you. And it seems is there even a point to singing kind of classic music if you don't do something like you do with these songs? Well, I, I think it's really definitely if for each person, you know, they get called to do different things. You know, like I, I wouldn't expect. Um, uh, you know, like like Roberta Gambarini has such a, a beautiful song and sound and a way to to do her music, but it, I wouldn't expect her to do you know something that I'm doing with a song the same way because she's not called to do that. So it, it's really about following what's interesting to you, you know. And 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 all I can say is when I take a, a song and and it starts to really kind of work on me, it it just starts coming out a different way and it has something from the old as well you know it has something from the original and i really do try to not like take it to so that it's completely unrecognizable you know um but um yeah to me it it they a song kind of seems to just choose me and say <laughs> do something with me and 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 so i do um and it, it i do like to do some more classic material and just do it without do it very plainly without um messing around with it too much i always like to take a couple swing tunes and just go at them you know and um and you're my thrill was sort of a little bit more like that but um you know in general (laughs) that's that's what i just feel called to do just look at songs from a, a a different way now, when I uh, when I saw you in Tanglewood recently, you did um, a version, which is also on this record, of uh, a tune by one of my favorite bands. You did Just What I Needed, um, Cars, and you were seated, and I think you still moved more than Rick Ocasek ever did when he was performing. But uh, in any case, um, can you talk a little bit about choosing that particular tune and, and what you did to it? Yeah, um, I, I was in high school when Just What I Needed came out, and... Um, even I, I loved that song at that time, but I I was kind of thinking in terms of as a as a young person in in high school. I remember feeling um, most of the time feeling like um, and I think this is common for adolescents feeling uh, really strong emotions, really strong feelings of like like longing for something, but not really knowing what it was, or feeling like something, you know, something was really great was possible but i didn't know what it was and of course those kind of feelings they end up getting channeled into sort of infatuation with somebody you know how that's kind of the 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 way that it goes but um and and so 
I was kind of just taking the primary emotion that I that I feel or felt at that time in my life and and putting it into that song. Does that make sense when you hear that? You know, do you can you when you hear that song? Um, yeah, absolutely. I don't mind you hanging out, talking in your sleep. Doesn't matter where you've been, as long as it was deep. You always knew to wear it well. Look so fancy, I can't I think young people, especially, I think that we don't realize, and, and we forget how it was when we were that age. You're really feeling very intense, very deep emotions, but you don't know what they are, and you don't have a name for them. You know, um, they might not be mature or whatever, but they're they're very strong and they're they're they're, they're powerful, and they're, they're things that can, you know, um, that they can they can cause you to really. Uh, look inside yourself or they or you can point them outwards at somebody else you know and uh but it's still it's very it's very powerful strong feeling yeah and i think uh our elders at that age tend to dismiss those feelings you know even phrases like puppy love which always used to drive me nuts and still drives me nuts but as if as if the intense emotions you feel when you're younger are somehow not not real or you know counterfeit in some way Exactly, and I used to. I remember I used to have a crush on somebody, and I actually had the same crush on the same person all throughout, like elementary school and junior high and high school. And he never knew about that, and we never did actually. We were kind of friends, but we never got together. But I remember I used to just, you know, like sit looking out the window and just hope that person was going to come walking down the street. It was so strange to have that that feeling, but it was such a strong, strong feeling, and. um and I, but I never told anybody, so it was like you know, the kind of thing that I, I think is really common for, for young people. You're carrying something that just feels, you know, very large and very, very strong, but it's not acknowledged in general by the by your, you know, by the the society or by your peers.
you've uh, you've used the phrase several times since we've been talking called to do and i've always tried to uh kind of pin down where you're coming from kind of either spiritually or philosophically you seem like a a person who's kind of wearing a lot of that I don't know if on your sleeve is the right term, but it certainly comes across in the music. And so I've tried to, you know, read some of the notes that you've written and other interviews that you've given. And I've never quite been able to, to pin it down. And you don't have to now if you don't want to, but it seems like, uh, it seems like there's a lot more coming through your music than just the music itself or the appreciation of the art. It seems like you're trying to get someplace farther. And there's some, I think, overt statements of that on this record, like Man of God is, um, I think one of the most overt. Can you talk a little bit about that if you're comfortable? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think uh, since the time I was I was little, and and something that's always been with me is a is a desire to really understand what what I'm doing here on this planet, and what uh, what life is for, who who I am, or, or what we are. You know, what's behind the person, the personality, what is left when the body goes away. And I think that my life has been um, uh, one big question mark and one big like looking at that in many different ways and trying to have experience or, or find out you know get more information because when you get here you don't really get any information about <laughs> about that kind of thing you know you have to find that yourself and um, and I feel like music is something that deals goes straight to past form, you know, it goes straight, it just deals with spirit, really, and I mean, you're, you're singing, so you're using the body, you're using form to to get there, but you have an, a way to access other areas or other parts of yourself. I think maybe I've, I've used music to express that longing and to kind of, to kind of comment on my, my search and my findings, <laughs> and in the past I've, I've gone or used more structured avenues like okay I'm now I'm going to study you know I was a catholic for a long time that's how I grew up or then you know at some point I I really started studying meditation and I was kind of more you know on a, on a different path in that way and but to me the the formalized religions always end up leading you away from the, your source in a way which is it's funny because they're supposed to be taking you to <laughs> to it but in a way I've found that it's the opposite and there's some way in which You've got to come down to um, just your, yourself and looking inside and seeing what is what's inside me, you know, and and keep asking that question: Who am I? And there is nobody else can answer that for you. And it's a very worthy and fun <laughs> and joyful and heart wrenching and scary journey. That's the only game in town, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's you, what we're here to do. Using music for that purpose, though, is a is a conscious choice you've made. I mean, you could you could decide to front a thrash punk band and you know just do it because it's a great release and because it's fun to play the bass that fast. I mean, you you would you didn't have to use your music for that purpose. So it seems like that's the rather than the formalized structures of some religion or philosophical study, is music the vehicle you've chosen to do that search? Well, it just seems to come out that way. You know, I, I don't I can say like. I'm going to do this with my music because that feels too forced and it feels too like evangelical or something, you know, and um, just becomes more dogma if you say like, oh, my music is to reach, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I, it, that, it feels too fake to me. Like I, all I can do is if something, if a song comes to me and words come to me, then if I can get them down on paper, then 
good for me. <laughs> and if I, and you know, and sometimes that takes a, quite a while. Um, and and but for for me, even with a song like let's let's face the music and dance, the lyrics, you know, are a vehicle for me to to look at. I mean, in that case, to face my myself and to face um, choices that I've made and to take responsibility for my life and to go on with joy, you know, on this, continue on in the search. Let's face the music and let's dance. And let's not just, you know, be victims or be, um, or blame somebody or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so for me, each song is sort of an opportunity to, to look deeper into the human condition, into my own condition and, and somehow find the celebration in it and find the freedom you know, I'm always looking for freedom, I guess that's the thing, is not wanting to be confined or feeling, I guess that's, you know, that's how it feels to be to be alive. There's a part that feels confined. I don't know if you, you know what I'm saying. There's something that feels like it's always trying to break free of its understanding, of its limited understanding. And so that's how I can't help but, but for music to to try and, you know, to use that to try and help me break out of my limited ideas and ways of thinking. Can he cure your ills? Does he quote the Bible? How do you know a man of God? Can he read your mind? Does he feed the poor? How do you know when someone's heart is beating on its knees through the night and day? How can you tell whose prayer it was who kept the child? Is it necessary, I mean, in this case, you've, you've surrounded yourself, as you tend to do, with really stellar musicians. Is it necessary for them to have a similar approach to making music, to that, that underside of making music that you do, in order for you guys to work together, or is that not necessary? I, yes, it is. It does seem to be really necessary, because there's so many incredible, incredible musicians. But for me, if, I, if, the, if the person I'm playing with isn't able to just wait and listen and use space and as as um, as as much as they use notes, you know, if they're not willing to not play, as willing, you know, as willing to not play as to play, then then it's the wrong match because then because there's something that's trying to get through in silence as 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 much as it's trying to get through in in um, w- with any notes. And if everybody is cognizant of that, which I've always been been really fortunate in playing, it feels like when I get together with the 
with whoever you know with the with the group that we're recording with everybody is just waiting and cherishing that space the same amount you know and um so there's a like definitely a like feeling and i and i they create you know a beautiful uh, a beautiful space for me to walk through and and sing the song and and i i feel that respect from everybody um that that i play with so that's i, I do cherish that and it is a rare quality. I was really moved by uh, the version of You Don't Have to Cry that's on this recording, and uh, which features some of the, the guests who join you on the album. Will you talk a little bit about that and, and who those folks are? Sure. Um, I uh, I had been just driving through the countryside and in, in up to Ithaca, and I, it was last fall, and I was just loving the, the trees and feeling it like really free, and I, and I um, had brought with me a Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, record and I, who I, I used to listen to them all the time growing up as well, and uh, that song came on and and I just started hearing it. This is how it usually happens for me. It, the song kind of starts replaying itself over and over in my head, but then it it drops the the original context that it had. So when I was hearing it in my head as I'm driving and hearing it and hearing it, it just it didn't have the guitars and it didn't have all the same, those same harmonies. I just heard it like with percussion against it, and then I heard different kinds of harmonies and and um, sort of a different chord progression under it than the regular one. And uh, and then I I just knew, oh, I want to sing this song, and I and I knew right away I want to have um, Peter Eldridge and Joe Lowry sing it with me because um, I just n- knew it would sound incredible and that they would improvise beautifully on it as well. And, and uh, so we got together, and, and James Ship, who plays the percussion and the tantan, the drum, and uh, and it just sounded exactly how I how I was hearing it when I was driving. It was really cool to to have that kind of tr- translate right from my brain to <laughs> to what they were doing without even it wasn't written down, and and all I did was just kind of tell them a little bit about it and play maybe just sing a little bit of it and play a little bit on the piano what I was thinking. And then everyone started singing, and there it was. Well, that's even cooler because there's definitely moments when it sounds like it was probably written down. I mean, there there's some times when you guys just reach, you know, these beautiful chords or you know, kind of pile on top of each other that just sound really incredible, and they don't sound like they just happened in the studio. Oh, so that's a a <laughs> testament to your chemistry, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is different every time. There wasn't, you know, but there but there is a certain kind of form with it, so it does. Um, even though the improvisations are, are are different every time, the the basic form is the same on it. Make you cry 
make you crazy and old before your time. And the difference between me and you, I won't argue right or wrong, but I had time to cry, my baby. You don't have to cry. Cry, my baby. You don't have to cry. I want to make sure we uh, mention the other folks who are on the record. We've mentioned uh, Keith, uh, who plays guitar throughout, Joe and Peter, who uh, both sing, James Ship, who plays percussion, um, Clarence Penn, we mentioned. So I think that leaves us with uh, organ, bass, and saxophone. If we, I'll give you the opportunity to, to talk about sure. who's with you. Right. So Gary Versace, who's been on the last two records I've done, um, on organ, piano, and, and accordion. And uh, again, he's somebody who just brings incredible uh, vitality and judicious uh, playing and uh, respect for space and just a, a real just willingness to just throw himself into the um, the vibe of the you know of, of the group and and he serves it completely and he's a, he's a joy to work with and so sensitive um, Donnie McCaslin another one he just I feel like he, he He's just thrilling to hear every time I, he, he plays on a song. I know it's going to reach a new, um, a new place with him, with him expressing it on the saxophone. And, and again, he's, he's very sensitive to the, to the vibe that we, whatever we're looking for and just finds a way to, to just add and not, not be too much, but just really add a lot of motion. And, um, so he's, he's, this is the second album I've played with him and, and then Reuben Rogers again. He was at the helm on on uh, the target, and uh, we were really psyched to have him again on this. He just he has a vibe and a and a a sound, a huge sound on the bass end, um, and just like such a laid back way of playing, and yet it's it's so um, it's so rhythmic in the right places, but you never feel like he's forcing it or or doing too much. He's just right where you want him, um, and he makes it sound deceptively easy. Um, but he's incredibly, incredibly skilled, and that's a great, great, great guy to play with. Well, this has uh, not exactly been a, a Mike Wallace style interview. It's no secret I'm a big fan, and uh, I, I <laughs> really, really dig the Thank record. You, Jason. My pleasure. Uh, it's it's, it's been great. Great questions. It's really nice to have uh, such thoughtful questions. Well, thank you. I was I was hoping they weren't. I wasn't getting too philosophical, but uh, you seem like the perfect person to take that kind of journey with. So. <laughs> yeah, you can edit anything out you want to. <laughs> I'm <laughs> mostly editing myself out. I think at this point, people will wonder whose questions you were answering exactly. <laughs> Well, uh, again, uh, the album is called If Less Is More, Nothing Is Everything. Uh, the artist is Kate McGarry, and uh, thank you again for coming back, and I hope you'll come back for the next record. I certainly will. Thanks, Jason, for Thanks, your work. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> Oh, oh. 
was Kate McGarry from her new album on Palmetto Records, If Less Is More, Nothing Is Everything. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session. Don't forget, you can find the Jazz Session at the iTunes Store, and despite the word store in the name, the show is in fact free. Just go to the iTunes Store and type in Jazz Session, and you can subscribe, and you'll always have a fresh episode right there in your iTunes whenever you want it. Also, you can go to thejazzsession.com where there are contests and music giveaways. Every show that's ever been done, uh, well, not every show that's ever been done, every episode of this show that's ever been done. I don't want to overpromise. Uh, and also transcriptions of interviews, all about jazz articles and reviews, eh, just all kinds of stuff. Go there and check it out, would you? Thejazzsession.com. Please give some money to the folks at Musicians Village, and you'll find a link to do just that on the left-hand side of thejazzsession.com. My thanks go out to the Respect Sextet, who recorded the theme song to this program, although that was not their original intention when they recorded it. But they were kind enough to uh, let me use it as the theme song to this program. And you can find about them and all of the wonderful music they've recorded at therespectsextet.com. Except that that's the wrong address. It's actually respectsextet.com. No the... Also, thanks to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo, and, as always, most importantly, thanks to you for making the show a success and for coming back each week for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
Thank you for listening. Bye.